All right, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 32 today. It'll be just a few minutes before we read our text, but if you want to get that ready. If you're at home today, I encourage you to have your Bible open and uh, the kids quieted and treat this like a church service because this is exactly uh, what we're doing here today. I come to you today in a format that I don't really enjoy. Uh, the pews and the seats are mostly empty. The building is quiet. Uh, I miss you, and it pains me not to see my family on a weekly basis. But I certainly don't want to lose touch with one another either. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to do uh, this type of, uh, that, that, that we have technology to do this, and I can still be able to speak to you in this manner. Uh, I know that some of you have gathered in small groups to view this together, and I appreciate that because I do want to not, our family, our church family, not lose touch with one another. In fact, if you are watching with us today, I encourage you to uh, leave a comment at some point throughout the message, throughout the uh, service, and I would love this to begin a thread of encouragement uh, to which we can be uh, that to one another. Uh, this has been a tough week. It's been a week of making decisions that I have certainly not enjoyed uh, because I, I am moving from, really it goes against my whole mission in life uh, to uh, bring people to church has been my one goal for as long as I've been in ministry and then this week I'm having to tell people to stay home. So it really goes against the grain, uh, but I appreciate so much the church family that has given us great feedback and those that have uh, made phone calls to each other, to myself, and have been an encouragement to me. And I can tell you I am very proud to be a part of Bible Baptist Church and uh, to uh, just, uh, just, just to be a part of this family that we have. Uh, numerous people have went out of their way to bring their tithes and offerings to the service or while I'm out, uh, get, hand it to me that way. And uh, I'm grateful for that because I don't want to see God's people stop doing what we ought to be doing just because we have a little roadblock in our path. Amen? And you can say amen at home and I'll trust that you will do that. We live in perilous times. Uh, these are, uh, there are many unanswered questions and heightened fears in the world today. There's lots of opinions even concerning this virus. I've heard many different ones this week. Uh, it's all a sham. There's absolutely nothing to fear. And then you have the other side, the other extreme. The world as we know it is going to come to an end. We're all going to die. I, heard, I even saw a headline this morning's news one person said, every single American is going to get the coronavirus. What a great uh, encouragement that is. This is a, a giant government conspiracy to control all of our institutions. I heard that as well. And on and on and on the theories go. This week I have heard also from many, even of our people, about the expectations of how we should handle this. I, we've went from... Uh, the input to cancel everything, to cancel everything, uh, to cancel nothing, to everything in between. I heard both of these statements made by different people this week. If you have services, you do not love people. And then someone else said, if you don't have services, you don't love God. So I uh, just want to encourage you that uh, if you might disagree with some of the decisions we've made, have a little uh, mercy on me. I cannot... Uh, please, everybody, and our men have uh, done so much to pray and to uh, uh, just put a lot of thought into what would be the best for our church. But everybody 
has an opinion, I believe the best thing we can do is have a balanced response, maintain a testimony of loving people and glorifying God while we do so. But times like this, it leads many people to raise a theological dilemma. Why does God allow this to happen? Why do innocent people suffer? Because we live in a fallen world, nothing works the way that it's supposed to. Sin has stained every part of the physical universe, and sin has deeply infected the human bloodstream. Things break. We grow old and we die. People kill one another. Uh, families are broken. Our leaders disappoint us. Our friends turn into enemies. When hard times come, we have a choice. We can either choose to be a student in the midst of that difficulty or a victim. There are only, these are only options that we have. A victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, what can I learn from this experience? With that in mind, there's a question. How does God bring good out of evil and suffering? There's a term that I like to use. Uh, God interposes himself into every situation so he's able to bring good out of tragedy. Now, the dictionary definition for the word interposes means to place or insert between one thing or another. In other words, God actively involves himself in the worst moments of our life. Now, I freely admit, when I think of the heartache and the world and, the, and, and life and all the evil in this world, I cannot explain how God always interposes himself in those situations. Perhaps no one in this life can understand that. In fact, I believe we really can't understand the ways of God. But we can have faith in a God whose wisdom far surpasses ours, and he knows what he is doing. Our suffering is not without purpose and it is not random. I do not believe in a world marked by death, sadness, and evil that God is just a passive observer. He works behind the scenes to bring about the ends that are for our good and for his glory. But there's a question with pain and suffering that are in people's minds. In fact, it really presents the greatest challenge to belief in God. There's an argument concerning this idea of human suffering that skeptics will use. Uh, it's called the trilemma. It's an argument set up by making three statements that we believe as Christians and then claiming that they are irreconcilable. Number one, God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants to do. Amen, I believe that 100%. Number two, God is all-loving. He deeply and intensely values his creation. I believe that as well. Number three, suffering is an all-pervasive part of this human life, and that we know is true as well. Now, the argument is that these contradict one another. The argument is they cannot all be true. You see, if God is all-powerful, then he could remove your suffering. And if he is all-loving, then he would remove your suffering. And yet, because there is suffering, one or both of those statements cannot be true. That's the trilemma. If you witness to any number of people, you'll no doubt hear a certain question. I have many times been on the receiving end of this question. In fact, 
it is an argument that many atheists use and many bitter people will use. Years ago, I was witnessing to a 20-year-old employee of mine, 19 or 20 years old. His mother had died when he was 15 years of age, and he really had a hard time getting over this. He asked me a question. He said, if God is a loving God, how could he let my mother die? If God is a loving God, why does he let bad things happen in this world? In fact, I have been asked a few more questions. If, why do murderers on death row live to an old age? And my dad died while he was young. Why does God let 4,000 innocent babies a day get slaughtered and yet my husband and I are dying to have children and we can't? Why did my friend who is innocent die in a car wreck and the drunk who caused the wreck walk away? Why? Why do babies die? Why do children get sick? The reasoning behind these questions is the principle that we believe we deserve more. We believe we deserve good things. All the variations of these questions really are about one question. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Let me say this. You may be sitting in an ideal world today and think you have the answer, but sit across the desk from a young man in tears whose heart's been ripped from his chest and who had his mother torn from his life. And it's not such an easy question to answer. Why? Why, God? Explain why I should believe in a God that would allow that to happen. The question here then is not only the why of the tragedy, but the why of the injustice. We could accept it. In fact, we would accept it if bad things happen to people who deserve it, wouldn't you? I mean, you would see uh, something bad happen to a person who was a bad person, and we would think that's what they have coming, that's what they deserve. We could accept it because... Uh, it, would, it would fit in our fairness package. But when a sobbing mother is holding a dead baby, just, just a couple of years ago, I went, uh, was in this situation, crying, why did God let this happen? The truth is, I don't know. And now we face a virus. It's something that no one asked for, no one deserves. Should this then shake our faith in God? Two mindsets cause us to ask these questions. The first mindset, we deserve good things if we feel we're doing good. Hey, if I'm doing the best that I can, if I'm living the way that I feel I ought to live, then good things should be happening to me. The second mindset is we know all there is to know. In other words, we, we think this should happen because we know that that's a good thing. Do we really? Can you think back in your life and see now how some of the tragedies in your life shaped you? You may not have liked them at the time. You certainly didn't think it was a positive thing while you were going through it. But now, looking back, you see that it did something positive in your life. It follows then that when we see something bad happen to somebody... We see something really tragic happen. Sometimes we think, wow. And you're already thinking the thought before I say it. Wonder what they did to deserve that. Now, unless you think that's unusual to think that way, it's not. Many, many uh, people do it. The disciples did it. All the way back in the New Testament, they're walking along with Jesus one day, and in John chapter 9, they come across a 
a, a blind man. The Bible says that this man had been born blind, so he had never seen daylight. He'd never seen color. He was born blind, and the disciples asked a question. Uh, verse 2 of John chapter 9, they asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was blind? Did you catch that? Did this man sin so that he was born blind? If that were the case, he would be the first man ever to, to sin inside the womb. What a question that was, but this was their perspective. I mean, hey, somebody had to sin, right? Because God does not let good things or bad things happen to good people, so obviously he or somebody in his life had to do something wrong or they'd have never gotten what they, uh, this blindness in his life. See, this helps us. It settles uh, in our sense of fairness. If Jesus said, oh yes, his dad was a murderer, so he was born blind, this would help the disciples, uh, it would help them accept the unfortunate situation he was in. Yes, in the middle of his second trimester, he knocked over a bank. <laughs> now that doesn't make any sense, but that's what they asked. Did he sin before he was born? Now the Bible gives us a different perspective. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, There is none good but one, that is God. Why do bad things happen to good people? The biblical answer to that question is that there are no good people. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all going out of the way. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, this may seem a bit harsh, but again, it gives us a perspective that we ought to have from Scripture. It helps us in salvation. Friend, if you think that you can... Uh, go to heaven on your own merit or because of your own works, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. Every human being on this earth deserves hell because of the sin that we're born into. We, do not, we are not a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're a sinner. It is a condition that we're born with. Every second that we live is because of God's grace and His mercy on us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. God owes us nothing. Now that's a hard thing for us to think about, but it is true. It is an underestimation of His holiness and an overestimation of our own goodness to make us think that He does owe us anything. We're a people that focus on the bad, and take for granted the good. In other words, we're quick to complain, we're slow to appreciate. You ever notice this? Maybe we should take some time today and focus our life on just how good God has been. Talk about unfair. How about someone who is the only, who lived the only perfect life ever in history before then or since Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life and, they, and then he suffered like no other. He died for the sins of a world that hated him. Before we loved him, he first loved us. 
It is tragic for our God who gave his son to die on the cross for us to then beg us to love him. Meanwhile, we look at him and we look at him with expectations. Uh, You'd better treat me this way or I'll resent you. Who do we think we are? There is none good. No, not one. But in dealing with people, this is absolutely a hurdle to overcome. Bad things do happen to people seemingly undeserving of them. There are things that happen. I can't give you the answer why. But with this message, I hope that maybe it'll give us a better understanding. If you've got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 32, I want to start reading verse number 24. Genesis 32, I want to start reading at verse number 24. The Bible says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he had saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. I lost my place. And he said, uh, let's go to verse number 26. Let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall no more uh, be Jacob but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. I think it's a great lesson we have there. I want to just give you a little bit of a, a background or the setting of what's happening here. Jacob is known as a crook. Uh, he is a, his very name, it means supplanter, trickster, conniver. Jacob will look you in the face and lie to you. Uh, and he, it's one of those, almost like he was the first presidential candidate. He just, you knew he was lying when he was talking. All through his life, he was a deceiver. Yet he always seemed to come up on top. He stole the birthright from his brother Esau. He got word then after that, soon after that, Esau was going to kill him. So he moved away uh, to live with some of his kinfolk. He fell in love with a girl named Rachel. And we know the story, Laban offered to let him have her if he worked for seven years. And so for seven years, Jacob worked. And, and at the end of those seven years, he married what he thought was Rachel. It was actually her older sister, Leah. He woke up the next morning, realized the trickster had been tricked. He got ripped off. He finally met somebody as big a crook as he was. But for 20 years, 20 years, Jacob lived with this knowledge that Esau wanted to kill him. Finally, he could not live like this anymore. And this is where our story picks up. This is the night before he met Esau. He had come, uh, we we really, what this is in Jacob's life, it's the greatest, uh, second greatest spiritual crisis in Jacob's life. The first being Bethel. At Bethel, he saw a ladder. Here he saw the Lord. At Bethel, he became a believing man. Uh, Here he became a broken man. At Bethel, he became the Son of God. Here he became a saint of God. At Bethel, he died to sin. Here he died to self. Uh, He came away from Bethel with a spring in his step. He came away from Jabbok with a limp in his walk. Listen, it's it's a very important thing for every one of us to have a Bethel. It's equally important that every one of us have a Jabbok in our life where we are broken before God. He wanted to spend the night alone. He may die in the morning. All of a sudden, someone comes up from behind him and tackles him to the ground, and a fight commences. Probably as he's wrestling, he screams, let me go, let me go. He thinks he's fighting an enemy. He does not realize he's actually fighting 
the Lord. In the middle of the night, it's interesting to me that when this fight begins, he's trying to get away, uh, let me go. And then uh, in the morning, the same man is clinging to the angel and will not let go. Why? It was the same angel, it was the same fight, but there was an attitude shift on this night while he was wrestling. He went from screaming, let me go, to hanging on and not letting go. Can I tell you that what you do when a situation comes into your life proves the kind of character you are? What do you do when something comes into your life too big for you? Not for an hour, not for three hours, but all night long. This is the basic difference between Jacob and Esau. With all his faults, deep down, Jacob had a burning desire for God to bless him. Esau did not. What about you? Do you have that desire in your heart for God to bless you? The angel asks him a question. He says, what is thy name? Now, did the Lord not know the name of Jacob? Of course he did. But this is important because the last time we see somebody ask Jacob, what is thy name? He says, my name's Esau. He lied to them, his own father, about who he was. And so now, here he says, my name is Jacob. Cheater, supplanter, Lord, you know who I am. I am Jacob. I'm just a cheat and a liar, and that's all that God wanted. He simply wanted Jacob to be broken in his presence, seeing himself as he really was. Now God could work. The man broken by God is a man that can be blessed by God. Well, the next morning, here comes Jacob, limping out of the forest or wherever he was, Eyes black, bloody hair, torn out, clothing ripped apart, uh, probably a bloody nose. What in the wide world happened to you, Jacob? He says, I've been blessed by the Lord. Looked more like a beating but a ble- than a blessing, but he called it a blessing because depending on the attitude, uh, the attitude that we have in our conflict, we can turn our conflict into blessing. We can turn our trials into a positive. What do you do when you're in a bad situation? I don't know who, who said this, but uh, this is a quote I wrote down a while back. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. End quote. Jacob was blessed by the Lord during an incredibly difficult conflict, I believe, for several reasons. And I want to just give you these before we close out uh, this morning's message. Number one, don't give up when one area of your life is out of joint. If Jacob were like so many Christians, he'd be filled with fear. He'd be filled with resentment. That's it. If this is how God treats you, then I'm out. I'm told that a joint that's out of place like Jacob's was is sometimes even more painful than a broken bone. But yet, what did Jacob do? Come on, he said, I'm going to keep on going one more round. God give us a generation of Christians today who keep on going despite hardship. Jacob says, all right, there's one leg down, but I've still got two arms. I've got one leg to go. And uh, he kept on going despite his hardship. We got to have Christians like that even today, when there is hardship. Get back up when you fall. Stay in the race when you're tired. Yes, it hurts, but don't you quit. Keep on going. Jacob 
kept on going. Look at verse number 26. I love this verse. And he said, this is the angel, let me go for the day breaketh. And he, Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a terrible fight and I've gotten awful pain in my leg because it's out of joint, and I'm sure other bruises and scrapes from the fight, and the one who's fighting me says, he's had enough, I would say, amen, I agree with that 100%, let's end this right now. But Jacob did not say that. Here the trial, the conflict, the heartache was about to leave his life. The angel, the Bible says, had afflicted him. Jacob said, you're not going anywhere. It was more important to Jacob to get a blessing from God than it was for his trial to leave his life. Priorities. Wow. What is your priority? Even in the middle of a, what they call a pandemic, things are not the same. Uh, things are uh, upended. Our routine is affected. The places we like to go are closed or, or uh, at least affected differently. What is your priority in the midst of all this? Our first reaction, and I've even said it several times this week, I can't wait till this is over. I just want this to be over, but does God have something for you to learn through this time? If so, put your focus on that rather than just getting deliverance from it. Number one, don't give up when one area of life is out of joint. It could be that God has a blessing in store if you stay the fight Stay the course. And then secondly, declare that God will turn your conflict into blessing. Not letting go until God gives you a blessing. Oh, how your life will change if you start to pray for, de uh, for development instead of deliverance. Every single time we have a trial, when we're going through a difficult time, all we want is deliverance. When all God may want is development. We beg God to take away the trial and the conflict when that's the very thing that He's using to build you into the type of person He wants you to be in the image of Jesus Christ. What did He do with Job? 41 chapters of bad news. This righteous man, Job, uh, had 10 funerals in a day. All the, his enemies stole all his riches. He had cancer from head to toe. And you ever notice that the devil only left him one thing? What was that? His wife. Now, that might have been a blessing, but it wasn't in this case. Because she became an agent on the behalf of the devil. Why don't you just curse God and die? Job's response was this. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked will I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In chapter 42, God began to move in his life. He gave him back twice as much as he had. He had ten more children. He saw four generations. What am I saying here? Hang on. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't stop just because something negative comes into your life. Keep the right attitude. Keep on going. He'll show up by and by. You don't know what he has in store for you. Just be found faithful. He'll make clear what, he'll, what he's trying to teach you. And then finally, God puts power on those who prevail. Here he tells Jacob, Jacob, you've got a new name. Your new name is Israel, prince with God. He gave a reason. Why? Because for a prince 
as thou, uh, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. God put him in a situation that gave Jacob the power because he prevailed. Christians today, oh, we want power. We want God in our life, but we don't have the tenacity to prevail at anything. Can I tell you today, don't pray for power if you don't want conflict. You ask God for power, and He'll put you into a situation that'll give you the opportunity to prevail so that you might have that power. It's like patience. We all know better than to ask for patience. That's a running joke. Don't pray for patience. Because we know how we get patience through difficult circumstances. Well, I can tell you how you get the power of God. By prevailing, by being faithful. God does not only give you the strength for the trial, He gives you strength from the trial. And so be faithful during it. The truth of the matter is you will have pain in this life. You will have heartache. We will face rough times. Uncertainty. Currently a so-called pandemic. But I believe that this isn't going to stop. I believe the pandemic will be over soon and we'll get back to our normal lives. But that does not mean that the trials will be over for you and your life. We're going to go through them for as long as we live. I believe if we open the heart's door to everybody on our typical Sunday morning uh, when we're all seated here, if we're able to open the hearts and just take a look, we'd find that in every row sits a broken heart. It would shock you the burdens that come even through these doors every single week. Friend, I'm asking you today to refocus. Quit asking the question uh, why bad things happen to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Maybe He has put that into your life to bring about a great blessing. Trust Him. Be faithful. Prevail within the trial. Maybe when you fight, like we sometimes do, we find that we're not actually fighting an enemy. We're really fighting God. There are people listening to me right now. You've been praying for deliverance when maybe God is really concerned about development. God loves you. He wants to mold you. Are you fighting Him today? Let Him change you. Let Him change your name. Give you a different testimony. This will only happen as we prevail. The question is today, are we willing to see ourselves as we are? And I, 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 my, my personal opinion is that if we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? We really are not seeing ourselves as we are. All of us are undeserving. All of us are not, not worthy of the grace of God, and yet He pours it out upon us. Let us be a grateful people, not a complaining people. Let us be a growing people, not just looking to get out of every situation that we find ourselves in. Refocus. Change your attitude in the trial. and You'll find that the trial takes second place to the blessing. That's what you'll really be concerned about, and that should be our priority the blessing of God. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't always have the answer to that. You won't either. But we need to trust Him because all the bad things that you can look back on your life, they have shaped you. They've made who, you who you are. 
And guess what? God's not done with you yet. He wants to continue shaping you and continue building you and continue molding you. It's not going to happen in times of ease. It's going to happen during testings, during trials, during difficulty. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. And God will bless. Father, I thank you so much for this day.